Hi, I'm Wolfgang Mutspiel and this is Coffee Talk. Hello and welcome again to the official podcast of the guitar department at Berklee College of Music. My name's Ian and we have another episode of Coffee Talk for you. This week we are joined by award-winning jazz guitarist and Berkeley alum Wolfgang Muschwil. Wolfgang has played with Mick Goodrick, Gary Burton, Dave Liebman, Paul Motion, Brian Blade, and Brad Maildow, to just name a few. And he's released many, many albums and projects as a band leader. He founded the record label Material Records, has had compositions commissioned by the Esterhazy Foundation, and in 2017 founded the Focus Year program at the Jazz Campus Basel and serves as its artistic director. As always, a lot of this content will also be available on YouTube, and we have a ton of other great content on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so give us a like and a subscribe on whatever platform you use. Here's our interview with Wolfgang Muschbiel. I'm Kim Perlack. I'm the chair of the guitar department at Berkeley College of Music, and welcome to another Coffee Talk. Uh, as usual, we're joined by our, our assistant chair, Cheryl Bailey. Hey, Cheryl. How you doing? I, I actually need to, I need to add water to my Nespresso machine, so I'm... Oh, this is bad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, speaking of Coffee Talk. <laughs> He's going to have to make a coffee. Um, and we've got Ian Steed, our senior coordinator here. Hey, all. Good morning. And our guest today is Wolfgang. Hi. Professor um, in Switzerland. Yes. And uh, an alum of here. And we're having extra coffee this morning because last night um, Wolfgang played in our Mick Goodrick Legacy concert, which went very late and late later with the hang. So thanks for waking up to do this. Yes. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. <laughs> it was actually great to wake up because I had this half dream, you know, half awake, half dream recollection of the event yeah you know sometimes after concerts you go through the whole thing mm -hmm. sometimes again and again and again yeah and it was beautiful uh, memories yeah from this from this uh, energy of former students celebrating the master mm -hmm. and also kind of totally giving it up to each other and really having this positive wish for the other to fly yeah you know like a beautiful community yeah all day in all the days that you've been here Wolfgang's been here for a few days now and Julian Lodge joined us and then a lot of other alums sent their videos and um, and then a lot of faculty were here hanging with you because it's been a long time since you've seen many of the people so we got to witness a lot of reunions yes it's a beautiful yeah. moment um, and since I had seen Mick uh, the night before, mm -hmm. it was such a meaningful uh, occasion to play music. Mm. Such a great, because I really, really felt that every performer was playing directly to Mick. Yeah. Yeah. So... When you gave a class the other day, these things came up like you can think of someone that you're playing to, you can, ways to serve the music so that you can really be in the moment. And I felt a lot of that 
you could feel that power in the concert. You were all taking care of each other in this way. Um, and you had sort of the inspiration of Mick and each other to, to focus on. Um, what do you do in different times when you're trying to get into that space? How do you get there in general in your playing? Well, I think it's, it's always the same challenge maybe for, for every performer to get away from the from the status-oriented, uh, you know, am I good enough, will I deliver to the joy of creation and the joy of playing and the acceptance and, and embracing of the moment. Mm -hmm. And I guess every time you, you got to go through that challenge. Mm -hmm. And it's always a rewarding, elating feeling when you go to the flow of the music and go to the to the moment. Time flows differently than all mm. this policing of your own uh, sound stops. Okay. And um, I've, I think that's a, a very important quality to develop for any musician. Um, some young students have that already. Okay. Bring that with them, even, you know, um, independent of the level on their instrument. Some, mm -hmm. some people just have that. They have fun making a sound. Okay. And they can physically be in that sound, like not only analytically observing it. Mm -hmm. But since we spent so many hours alone in a room with our instrument, mm -hmm. you know, super important to develop that some kind of way of really enjoying this hours these hours because yeah. practicing is fantastic it's like a, a beautiful zone where you can take care of your craft and you can get to know so much about yourself it's like a meditation in a way and it's really should it should kind of be the opposite of work mm. I mean, it is work in a way, but it's like work with joy and work with um, kind of your senses have to be triggered. It should be a, a whole experience, much more than a, uh, an exercise, you know? Yeah. When, when we were working with some students, you were working with some of my students yesterday, you're talking about the difference that you see between practicing and playing. And that's something that Mick was really interested in when I came here. This idea that, even this idea that practicing takes place almost on your left brain, where you're really looking at what you're doing and really trying to figure out things. And then can you really experience what it's like to change to your right brain so that you let things flow? Right. He had experiment. He had experimenting with drawing and chocolate and drones and all different things that try to shift you over. Um, but how do you work with that when you're developing ideas and then you want to see if you can let go of? Yeah, generally, I really subscribe to that whole view that practicing and playing are different zones mm -hmm. because you don't want to contaminate the playing field with the uh, principles that, that rule in practicing, okay. right? 
the playing is more like an intuitive, dreamy thing, like also childlike. It's like a child plays when you when you look at a child, how quickly they set up their game and how quickly they change it to another game, and that's kind of like improvisation to me. Mm-hmm. And of course, in the practicing, you use all the tools you can. You have you use your mind. You write down things. You use you know recording devices and whatever. And whatever f- whatever flows from the practicing pool or maybe the research into the playing is, is kind of not up to you. Yeah. It, 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 will, it, will, it will come when, it's, when it should. And mm. some things never come, actually. Maybe that's the hard part, is that to give up the control of what comes. Yes. Because, mm. you know, if the, if the lick... That, that you practiced comes by itself. It's a very welcome guest. <laughs> oh, here it is. Great. <laughs> right. But if it's like, okay, now next chorus on this bar, I could, you know. <laughs> right. Nah. It's not, it's not gonna, gonna sound good, you know? So you have a background in both classical music and jazz, and you have these beautiful pieces that are solo guitar pieces. And then at different points, you'll improvise with them. You'll change the structure. You'll broaden things. And I think that's one thing that's really hard for all of us is like when you have something you're interpreting and then you want to improvise, keeping that flow and keeping some kind of structure in your mind. How do you work on How do you do that? How do you let that happen? Well... I must say that is something that I don't really work at, mm-hmm. um, but I do kind of improvise by myself a lot mm. at home, and I always have. And that's kind of second nature to me to make up something by myself. Mm-hmm. That's even much easier to me than playing on a tune. It's much easier to me than playing with somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's the easiest for me. Mm. Because uh, anything that comes out is okay for me. Right. You know, really anything. Yeah. Because I kind of have a sound that I like, or I can, I can make the sound I want. Mm-hmm. And then I really accept whatever it is. And actually, there's nothing uh, more valuable or less valuable. The triad can be a- as killing as the most complex cluster. True like whatever comes will be is okay so like when i play these written pieces and i have the feeling that we have had a certain stretch of a certain energy and we're going to another piece and maybe i have i see like a small opening an invitation for maybe staying somewhere a little bit mm-hmm. or transitioning to somewhere that really depends on the moment it depends on the sound of the night how it's amplified, how the reverb is, how my nails are, everything. Mm. But when that moment comes, I kind of go there and see how long shall I sort of stay out, you know, yeah. until I go back to a written thing. So that's a super comfortable way to improvise for me because I have this text mm-hmm. prepared, prepared text. Even the order of the text is, is, on the, is like a spontaneous decision. Okay. I have something like maybe 20 pieces, written out pieces 
in, in, in my head. And then when one ends, I decide which one comes next. Maybe could be something else. Like what I played yesterday, could right. be another order. Okay. Or I could stay out much longer. Or I could freely improvise in front of the first piece so that the first piece only comes after five minutes maybe. Mm. Uh, and so on. Mm. So I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, it does. I think what's really the cool part is that you are centered in allowing yourself to accept whatever you play. I think that there's a lot of judgment that creeps in when people are playing and improvising. How did you, were you always accepting of whatever came? No, um, and I go through the same doubt uh, sometimes and I listen to, to myself sometimes and, and I'm not happy with what I played. Mm -hmm. But that is more like when I play with other people in certain structures. When I play by myself alone, mm -hmm. I don't really try to do anything, and so I can't fail. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Yeah, I do. Like I, I do. could take the guitar now and mm -hmm. play for you three minutes. Mm -hmm. and whatever it is, is fine. It could be like a super simple mm -hmm. uh, picking thing with one chord. Mm -hmm. but I don't know what it is now, but mm -hmm. it will. It will be fine. I know that. Right. And it's not so much, I'm not trying to make something interesting. I'm just playing. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. And of course, since I have done that really always. Yes. Like, even when I didn't play an instrument yet, I did it on the piano, I remember, as a very small child. Mm -hmm. And that was like a big experience for me because the family was always listening. Mm -hmm. And I have three siblings, older siblings, and... When I did that, that, you know, when the kid kind of does something creative, that the older ones gather around and, and yeah. check it out. You know? And that was like a, a magical thing for me that I could go into this sound world, not, not re really not being able to play the piano at all, but mm -hmm. just messing with it mm -hmm. and playing like a child plays mm -hmm. and, have the, and, and realize that, what, that whatever this is, is something for them, you know? Yeah. And then when you studied classical music, like, did you continue that? When you were playing classical pieces, did you feel like you had some agency to move them around, or did you have to feel like you had to let that go? How did that feel? Well, I really was very happy to play the exact text, mm -hmm. and I, especially with the pieces that I loved, yeah. My main love was Bach and Renaissance music. And there was also some other pieces that I love to play, but I think the really, really heavy pieces on the in the classic guitar is mm -hmm. not that many. Yeah. yeah. Um, unlike you know, for a violinist or for a pianist or mm -hmm. a cellist or you know. Mm -hmm. And I always thought like that's a little bit of a restriction, but either you write some stuff or you commission stuff or something, you know, which the great guitar players have done, like Julian right. Bream asking, uh, you know, commissioning pieces from composers he loved. Yeah. Um, but I, I stuck to the text without, you know, I didn't want to improvise on it, like, 
okay, this is a Bach road. It's pretty heavy stuff. I want to do it, do it justice. Mm -hmm. What what came in handy was that, you know, sometimes I lost the thread, like playing a whole recital, you know, mm -hmm. like three lute suites and, you know, yeah. like a lot of text. That's a lot of text. And sometimes I lost it, you know, mm -hmm. and I didn't, didn't mind <laughs> because I could actually kind of keep it going a little bit. Yeah, you know? until you found it again. Yeah. That's and, really good. And that freaked my teacher out. Yeah. I mean, he was so cool. Right. And he, he kind of liked the fact that I could do it, but he had a heart attack. Oh, of because course. he knew yeah. like that deep section on that jig or whatever it was doesn't is not go. right. Yeah, it doesn't you go know, like that. It yeah. doesn't go like I hope he finds his way back. You know? Right. <laughs> right, because usually it's just like you do it or you die. Yes. That's and, it. And like it you know the we've fight witnessed is, those those deaths on stage. We fear as, those deaths. We, we fear yeah. them. And yeah. I mean I've seen those deaths with with some of the greatest players. Absolutely. And it, I would say it's almost a sign of a really great player that there's a possibility of that. Of that, yes, absolutely. Because, because otherwise you're so controlled. Otherwise it's like a package that you deliver and we know how it is in classical music. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times what is most favored is the safe, loud guy. Yeah. Right? In yeah, the competitions. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. When I used to play classical guitar, I, you know, I was also in competitions. And, and usually that person won. Yeah. They're clean, clean and loud. clean, loud, and there's no danger, and it's all yeah. good, and thank you very much. And the interesting guy, the quirky guy that, that had a different view on it, that had extremes in some way, mm -hmm. usually didn't really make it to the next round, you know. Right. So, that's a whole other subject. But but anyway, I, I really enjoyed those years of, of getting into the, the written music mm -hmm. very much. And up until I was 23, I kept both going. Yeah. Classical guitar and jazz guitar. I was at New England Conservatory with both David Leisner on classical and Nick on, right. you know, for jazz. And then at some point I had to decide for one because I couldn't do both on the level I wanted to. Right. You know, I was practicing right. I was like a split personality. Right. Because it's a different life. Yeah. It's a different life. You know that yeah. Sabino said that once. Jazz, he said once in his documentary, jazz is a whole life. It's so true, you know, it's, it's really all, all that comes with it. That it's that like, the community, the, yeah. the, the the story of it, the history of it, that the way we perform, the touring, the mm -hmm. circumstances, like you know, the the backstages. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, it's like it's yeah. such a difference. It's a difference. It's such a difference. It is a difference. Yeah, and so it's also a different, I would say it's also a different way of practicing. Because mm -hmm. as jazz musicians, we want to always enable ourselves for that opening, for the unknown. Yes. You can't rehearse the unknown, but you, you want to be as ready as possible. Yeah. 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 And, and, and and in classical music, it's really it's about the known. It's the it's, known. It's, it's, it's a new angle on the known, hopefully. It's hopefully a little bit of a different tempo tonight on this piece, but we know what the next note is, you know? And even to the point, I think I think this might be changing. I think it's changing at Berkeley, but when I was studying classical music, it was almost like there are parts of the fretboard 
that jazz musicians embrace that we don't think about perspectives because we're not going to change it. We're not going to the opening where we create. So we just, just stick to the text. Just the text is like your the equivalent of your prep work, right? And so then I think that made it worse. It makes it worse when you lose the thread because then you the whole thing feels like the floor drops away from the black hole. There's you know there's 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 the text, but then there's also the the additional issue of a teacher that tells you how to play the text. Yes, well that's true too. And then it's like the the freedom becomes smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. You know those poor brave people who have you know practiced ten hours a day for the last eight years playing the way the teacher tells them to. Like sometimes I just you know even though they might be brilliantly executing mm-hmm. the the notes, but sometimes I I wish them that they know what kind of power and what kind of freedom they have in classical music in the classical yes, text. Yes, absolutely. Because if you listen to a great classical you know musician who interprets a piece he loves, that's also as you know, on the highest level, is as free as, as free improvisation. That's correct. Yeah. And it feels free yeah. when you do it, and it really is yours when you own it. Yeah. And you can hear when someone owns it. But that's interesting that you... But you still... You have now, even though jazz is your main life, your musical life, you brought the nylon string guitar there. You brought the classical guitar there. Yeah, it's always, always been there. Um, yeah. In addition to the electric, and it can do certain things, certain different goes mm-hmm. goes, goes to different places. Mm-hmm. And I I also tour with it. Like usually when I play in trio, I have a like about four tunes on the on the classical guitar. Um, I also do um, choose my drummers mm. carefully because mm-hmm. it, it needs another type of drumming. Mm-hmm. It needs not only a different volume, even though I'm amplified and I'm making sure mm-hmm. that I'm, you know, I usually take a, my own sound person so that this aspect is really done well. Amplifying a classical guitar is not easy. Right. And these drummers have to kind of also play with the sound of the classical guitar, which is different than the yes. sound of the jazz guitar. So, yeah. But yeah, and that when it works, it's beautiful because it gives another color. And so the, there's more more variation, more scope in the in the, in the set. Mm. And I think you've brought a lot of the just the considerations of tone and phrasing and form. It feels like you've brought that into all of your playing. I think that's one of the beauties that that if you can take it from you know one of the virtues, the many virtues of classical music, mm-hmm. they can be really helpful for jazz musicians. And vice versa, of course. That's what I was going to ask. Unfortunately, the, yeah. the classical musicians don't don't seem to be wanting to learn so much from the jazz musicians, mm. because that that's also that would be a very very valuable exchange. Don't you think it's fear in some way? I'm not sure. Um, you know, this is a topic that exists almost in all schools. Yeah. Like for example, in our school in. In Switzerland, which is a great university, I'm at the jazz department there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is not a big uh, 
exchange between the classical department and the even with department. you there even with me there wow because we were in a different house in a different building mm -hmm. and you know you have to really like want that exchange and kind of implement it in some project but normally it's not happening right and i think you know for any for any jazz musician i think it's a great idea to check out classical music mm -hmm. And for any classical musicians, it's a great idea to really check out jazz. I mean, really, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's different qualities that you can benefit from. And, of course, sound, like, because you, you, you practice in classical music, you practice your sound more than anything else, mm -hmm. articulation. And there's a certain type of, I would say, maybe, practicing ethos or discipline is the wrong word but it's kind of clear that you have to practice as a classical musician no right 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 yeah yeah like you you absolutely yeah. have to yeah, you yeah. have to learn the piece first yeah. you know otherwise you can't play it so yeah it's there, a pretty it's like, like you know day and night kind of thing yeah the piece you yeah know, with all the fingers right and so there's a certain practical hands-on thing yeah. that we can also benefit sometimes from um then there's a would say classical musicians naturally play with the room because they're not amplified so they have right. a different relationship to the room the room is extremely important to a classical musician mm -hmm. many jazz musicians don't play with the room mm. they cannot play the same way right you know yeah like a drummer bashing away in a church you know <laughs> we've all heard it you know so that's you know, and the other way, of course, the you know, the freedom of making up stuff, mm -hmm. the you know, the the risk taking, the embracing of the moment and the unknown, because there's still something, there might be still something unknown for you in that Bach piece. Yeah. You know, every time I play that Sarah Bond in that Bach. Lead sweet. Mm -hmm. I don't play that much anymore. But mm -hmm. every time, reveal something else. Like mm -hmm. a good classical musician wants to be open for, for that. Right. Rather than right. okay, this is the way I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna deliver it every time. It's kind of boring for, for yourself as a musician. Might be okay. The audience might might be okay with it, but it's not the life that I would would, would wanna have. Right. Cheryl, what's what's on your mind as you're listening to all this discussion of style and what you take? Well, I was thinking about just at the beginning, talking about just improvising and having fun and the idea of playing like children playing. And it made me think of Ornette Coleman. What I understand the story was his he got a plastic saxophone and thought it was a toy and he just played it like a toy and that, that's how he developed playing like he didn't they didn't say here's a musical instrument here are scales and here are things you have to learn <clears throat> so that was his thing about oh here's this toy I'm going to play with it and make sounds and everything developed up that and you know that's the way he played he wasn't confined to tonality and, you know, of course, after a while about playing the game on the toy, it developed into a sound and a structure. And and he 
but that element was always there and and he was just such a deep improviser and and really established a thing I think at the time when he came on the scene he opened up this dog anything dogmatic about structure and this is how to play and these are licks and he really transcended that because from the very beginning he just thought it was a toy it was <laughs> so I think that's missing in a lot of education about playing jazz and maybe even within some of the players themselves that uh, that sense of just playing a game or playing with this toy this toy that makes sounds i agree and we are all at this point basically all the scene is is people who graduated from schools i'm also you know ex you know went through many schools and academically trained jazz musicians of course i had pleasure of playing with great mentors and learning from them but even, even so now it's even more important than, than than in earlier times to to go to that to that intuitive place always and to to, to go to that play um, because mm -hmm. in academia it's hard to maintain that mm. I mean it's like a almost like an energy um, that doesn't want to thrive in a, in, a, in a school because a school has to compartmentalize the subject somehow. And we all, you know, we as people who work in schools or initiate programs in schools try to transcend that. You know, the, my, my, one of the reasons why I founded this program in, in Switzerland called Focus Year, this is a thing I'm doing in Basel, was actually coming from a certain frustration um, about the academic system and the fact that even great students came to me and and I asked them how they're you know how it's going with their studies and they said yeah well this and this is great I love that and but this and this subject you know I have you know I have to go there and you know like that there is gray zones in an education uh, to me it felt like why <laughs> we are all there with our hearts and minds mm -hmm. to learn right mm -hmm. yeah. why should there be like a dead time that you have to just check so we get the credit right you know right so that that's not right to me yeah and, and and so i kind of thought what would be a program that deals only with the music mm and only with the social interaction of a band and with the mentoring and the advice of masters. So I came up with this. But of course, this is only for for people who, have, who are deeply in it already. Right. So this would, would probably not be a program for beginners, even though I think it would be a great program for beginners. But you couldn't finance it. You couldn't finance, you it. Couldn't you pull couldn't it, finance yeah. it. But I mean, imagine you have a beginners band mm -hmm. that does that yeah they only play and they get um, coaching yeah I mean they would develop so fast true you know true it makes me think of when I started playing I was really fortunate um, from Pittsburgh and there was amazing alto saxophone player 
Eric Kloss, maybe you've heard him. He did a bunch of things on Muse with Pat Martino. And anyway, um, he he was blind saxophone player. And he, I, I think because of that, he made us do things that were, you know, maybe from his point of view about music, of experiencing it. And we would, you know, we would often play these these concerts if you were in his ensemble. And, you know, there'd be other bands and they'd be reading a lot of stuff and doing all this stuff. And we would play free. And But his thing was because we were, we we weren't at a stage where we were really listening. And so he would just do different things with us that were all about listening you know, exercises, and then they sort of turn into pieces. And it was so great for me at that time, because I was involved so much with, you know, working on all the nuts and bolts and the technical things. But this guy was really taking us out of that experience. And so it was just always funny, because we would do these recitals, and there'd be all these people, and they'd be playing repertoire. And we just go up there and he we he'd just launch one of his games and we go into but it was so was so great then to take that into all the structured learning. So I think to have those kinds of ensembles for all levels, I think it's really great, because it will really affect you. Um, and just on that level of just our listening skills. It was all about listening and reacting. And we weren't, we weren't thinking about that because we were reading and, and, and being over analytical. So I, I think that maybe that's a way, maybe there's a way you can, you can develop that almost. I'm not like a franchise, but take that out into, um, to the community for students of all levels to experience. Yes. Well, it's it's a constant challenge to to also in the teaching go there to that place that we are talking about, whether to the place of the true music. And a lot of times, you know, with with actual free playing, you can immediately go there because you know tells you immediately what's going on. You know, if you can make up something hearing a sound and you can make up something that for you you know that makes sense on it that's like the most important quality which is not acquired by learning about scales and uh, theory this is simply ear training and and learning that impulse of okay I hear this I can play this you know how quick is that you know so that is always the main instrument Mm -hmm. the ear I must say that in my recollection of studying at Berkeley which is now about 117 years ago <laughs> that might be there were slightly no cars then. Yeah, no cars yeah there was horses wow and cobblestone streets yeah it was beautiful <laughs> Boston was so beautiful <laughs> it reminded you of home oh yeah <laughs> and then um, what happened then? I got distracted by my own fantasy. By the, by the beautiful memory. But yeah. No, the thing was that I, <laughs> I, I did attend this, this one ear training class taught by Mr. Bedner. Mm -hmm. Ed Bedner. And he... Uh, Atonal ear training. That was an amazing class. He was an amazing... He was amazing. It was like six or seven people in the, in the room. It was the highest ear training class. Mm -hmm. And... 
and it was just this modus novus book of eight normalities where you learn all the intervals, like get an emotional relationship to each interval. You have to sing them and, and kind of write them, you know, write eight normalities down and, and and the the room, like everybody was everybody's listening was stretched to the absolute border, mm. you know? Like for an hour. Yeah. Six people listening so hard. Yeah. It was and it was silent much of the time. Mm. And at the end of it, I always thought, wow, now we are in a in a state where we where we should play, play music. Right. Now I wanna be like that. Now your ears are open. Now I want to play like that, you know. Mm. So that was a great class in I had here, and I, I'm not sure. Probably is not not anymore at, at, at this school, but mm. he did it very well, and it was kind of strict, and it was a clear, very clear cur- curriculum. Not much interpretation. Not much. How do you feel? No, no. <laughs> like, is it a fourth or is it a fifth? Yeah. What can you demonstrate? Yeah. Yeah. It was great. That's beautiful. You know, hearing you talk about what you practice and what you care about in your playing, it makes sense that you brought that into your teaching, you know, and, and that your teaching seems to be like, okay, how do I how do I get this person to think about these things? And now you're also running a program, and so you're designing it. Like you're saying, what do I need this program to do? And each time, like obviously those things also take devotion and time how to teach someone, how to run a program. And we were joking earlier that then like little things get start to become a big deal, like stapling and filing and, you know, emailing, how you spend your time. Well, I must say that I'm, you know? I'm lucky with this, uh, in this Basel situation mm-hmm. because I'm running this together with my good friend, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's kind of in at the school, mm. whereas I am kind of visiting from Vienna, right? And you know, I we do make a lot of decisions together, mm-hmm. but some of the kind of nuts and bolts organization is is up to her, and she's great at it. And she's like, right. she's like a, a very, you know, she's also my manager. She's very organized, and mm-hmm. so yeah, but. Um, I know what you're talking about. When we're basically talking about somebody who says, "I'm not, I'm not doing this. This yeah. is below my rank." Right. And this is like a sign for me, like you're basically out. Yeah. You know. Because, because everything's a part of it. You can see this also in, in musicians right. or in, in sound people, like. Mm-hmm. And I was just telling earlier, like, you know, I'm on tour with some of the. I don't want to be names dropping, but some of the best musicians in the world, and they. They don't have a problem to carry something, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, it's like, <laughs> this tells me something about you, you know? Okay, so my question leading up to that kind of thing, like, is that, so you have your musicianship and your playing, and then you have these avenues of the teaching of it and the running of the school. I think sometimes people think of those things as really separate and really divorced mm-hmm. from each other. And that, that these things that are non-playing related steal time. How do you how do you connect things in your mind? Like how do you look at things holistically, or or do you do that? Um, I kind of designed this particular program and, and job almost mm-hmm. 
very much also for myself mm. because I like I really like the idea and I like to 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 be to witness it mm -hmm. uh, once or twice a year I'm also the, the coach of this ensemble but mostly I'm just coming and you know introducing the, the guest coach and see how it's going and, and kind of fine-tuning things and and I really find it interesting I learn a lot from the various coaches that we invite, they're all, all musicians that, that interest me. Mm -hmm. And how they teach and how systematic or unsystematic they are. I learn a lot about sometimes it's valuable to be not prepared. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like you don't have to have everything planned out. Mm -hmm. Some coaches come with nothing and create something amazing. Mm -hmm. And I also see you know like because we're going through this process of auditioning many young musicians or not so young musicians because our our program has no age limit you can be 60 and participate mm -hmm. um, and sort of learning what what qualities to really trust mm. and where to be careful you know because you have these people for a whole year yeah so it's very important some some qualities of their character are more important than the sometimes the level of playing you right. know they have to play good of course but right. sometimes a complete uh, imp uh, impressive virtuosic uh, soloist if he doesn't bring the the understanding for the for the social aspect, mm -hmm. can ruin the thing. Yeah, he might deliver a, a good solo every time, but mm. yeah, you know. So that's also things you learn to how to read people and to mm. to differentiate between the presentation of somebody and the mm. actual being. Yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. Some people are good at presenting themselves, mm -hmm. and some are not. But they are actually, in the long run, you know, hearts of gold. So right. Yeah. Mm. But generally, I don't make a big, big differentiation. And I also, you know, part of my teaching because I also teach some guitarists. Mm -hmm. I share that with Lionel Luecke in Basel. We mm -hmm. we share the students, and I always play with them, and I always. I always bring my stuff also into the teaching of my what mm. I'm working on, you know, what I'm writing. Mm. So it's like I'm. It's just not so not so very different from from making my own music. You know? Yeah, I'm, I'm also trying to when I when I listen to them and they are you know they're asking for advice or sometimes they're not asking they're just showing up and they, they don't really know what to do mm. and the, the main thing is always to get them to, to some area that interests me yeah because that will immediately interest them mm -hmm. because then they see I like it so right. there must be some something to it you know what I mean it's like instead of oh, how can I help this person if you mm. would do that then this would happen. No, I gave gave up on that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let's play together, and you know, when we feel some kind of 
uh, that we created something together. You know, some of the questions that he might have be or she might have had before are gone. Right. Yeah. Because they're just like intellectual. Intellectual questions and not that don't lead anywhere. Right. Know, yeah. So, Ian, this sounds like a good opening for Ian has a question. He asks everybody. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. So, uh, on that topic. The question is the answer is yes. Oh. <laughs> could. No, I think that's from, from Leonard Bernstein. <laughs> I stole that. Okay. I'm ready. Um, so, what is something that students should be thinking about that they just might not have on their radar that they might not like what's a question that they should be asking that they might not think to ask one first thing that that comes to mind is how can i make my practice most fun and enjoyable That's a big one. Not so much what should I practice, but how can I make my practice great, like that I want to do it all the time. Mm -hmm. And maybe the other one is and that's, that's a hard one because I don't want to sound like a smart ass, you know, from an outsider perspective, but Sometimes it's good to be aware of the privilege of having these years of learning pretty much undistracted. Because mm -hmm. later when you are in this other mode of touring and, you know, as a professional musician, you have to fight for those pockets of practice and, and, and research. And like in hindsight, it seemed like a, a paradise. Six years I had, you know, to to work on that. So just like this awareness might lead to some appreciation of the of the actual situation, because you know we we are really really lucky if we can do this. Mm -hmm. Many people can't. You know, one thing, when you were talking about time, I was just, I had just thought about last night when you were getting ready to play, and so many classical musicians you play as intricately as you do. Me, like, absolute quiet, you know, the green room is quiet, completely quiet. And it's like a zoo, comparatively speaking, backstage. At, at every, everything that I did, it was mixed styles ever now. It's always been like this, like a lot of conversations and people eating and hanging out and around. And I looked over at one point at you and you were meditating in the middle of the room to get yourself in the space. Like, how did you develop like what you need when you're backstage, like so that you can give yourself time and quiet in a not quiet space where you have no time? How did you get to that? Well, I think maybe simply you don't have to be the priority is not to be nice to everybody. Right. The priority is you, you have a concert. Yeah. And whatever you have to do to feel great about going out there, you should do. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's going, leaving the backstage and making a walk. Maybe it's 
like down, maybe, whatever it is. Maybe you, you want to be in a conversation, but but don't don't do anything because you should. You know, right. like, that's a maybe that's a, a a strength of my of my character that I kind of. I don't I don't hang around if I don't want to, you know. Right. And uh, I also really enjoyed the buzz of the of the backstage room. Yeah, yeah. And it was great to meditate in there. Yeah. Because I heard that all those conversations and the strumming of unamplified electric guitars and and then I was also warming up myself a bit in the middle of this beautiful chaotic sound and it, it's kind of a, a relaxing backdrop yeah you know yeah i enjoyed it it reminds me of a story where glenn gould was practicing once in a hotel room and the the cleaning lady came through with a, a vacuum mm -hmm. and for a moment there when he was playing soft the vacuum was louder so he he couldn't hear it and 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 he kind of learned something amazing amazingly deep about the sound in that moment mm -hmm. because he could only imagine it and feel it but not hear it because the right. vacuum was louder and so that was a little bit like the case yesterday with, with all these mm -hmm. sounds and chatter and then you, you play and you don't hear every detail but it kind of a relaxing you know it's more relaxing than complete quiet yeah because i had always wondered that like if what we the normal thing to do as a classical guitarist is just to, it just freaks you out more because then you're like they're worrying and you're not just i was really like you know yesterday because i often get nervous before concerts mm -hmm. and yesterday it was such a beautiful spirit of all these colleagues listening to each other mm -hmm. started already at the sound check and all the conversations mm -hmm. and the that I thought now we're just celebrating, we're celebrating. And I, I wasn't nervous at all. And so hmm. it showed me again, you know, that it's really my decision to be nervous or not. Wow. <laughs> wow, yeah. I mean, I can be if I want to. That's so interesting because... Because obviously I don't wow. need to, obviously, right? Right, I played obviously. a hard piece yesterday. Really hard. Alone for 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. I could have many reasons to be nervous mm -hmm. i play with julian large oh my god he's so great you know yeah i mean it's for me i have to be so you know like there's yeah. so many reasons i could be nervous that's right but no reason to be nervous actually it's only a made-up thing in my brain yeah i think so and, and with all the teaching too going on like that was another thing when i came up like oh if you're gonna play you're not gonna teach that day but when we were talking at one point yesterday, we were talking about, you know, why isn't a concert more like teaching in the sense that you're sharing? You know, like it's different, but it's still what it is. You're not like proving something, you're, you're sharing something. And um, it's a beautiful image that came up in a, in a conversation with Tronzo. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, who, who I'm so happy to have met again now yeah. in these classes. But basically, you know the fact that you want the artist on stage to go on a trip with courage and integrity and curiosity 
if you see that as an audience, mm. as a listener, you just trust and go with, with that person. Definitely. And you will be able to digest the most complex or the most, you know, foreign lands. Because this person led you there and you trust him or her. And and that's kind of it's kind of the job of the artist. He has to be brave and fearless on stage so that the audience can go with him. Otherwise they maybe wouldn't go there, you know? I agree. And I think what I learned from that sound check was Every time someone checked, more every someone came down, and by the end we were all sitting there together, pointing, turn this down, change this, move yeah. this here. You know we were participating, and the hang just got bigger and bigger. And I think that's what it felt like. You know when it was time to go on, it wasn't like this kind of like okay we're going on in five minutes. It was like oh, are we gonna do this by now? The way, oh, we're do- by now. the way we're doing this now. You know, yeah. and I had a moment about 45 minutes before where I had this moment where I thought all I do is speak and I have now it's my turn to be nervous and it lasted for like two minutes and then I realized well I'm just going to explain what happened today right exactly and that and everybody did that everybody just went out and here's what basically here's what's happening right now and you just showed everyone and it was really beautiful you could feel even like you know people who are participating from video like when Bill Frizzell's video comes on first, you could hear the audience like responding to just, he didn't speak and they responded to him, you yes. know, and then everything built. And that's interesting to learn from a concert that was designed for a person. It helped us all make it about that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, I'm going to think about that for a long time. Totally. You know, what you were saying about the thing I could choose to be nervous, actually that reminds me of something from the advancing guitarist that really, um, when I, you know, when I first left Berkeley and I went out to do my first recordings and stuff and I'd never really, you know, been in studio like that. But anyway, he has a whole thing about recording music. And there, and there is a thing about that in there. He goes off something similar to that, like, well, you could be thinking about how much it costs per minute to be recording this, and you could be thinking about, you know, how badly I play with the track, or you know, you could be thinking all these things, or you could just have fun and make it fun recording. <laughs> you know, like where you put your attention. It's really we have more control than we allow ourselves to know about where we place our attention in any situation like I I could be focused and then I'm gonna get really freaked out I'm thinking about oh how terrible the the headphone sound or whatever or I could just let it go and play some music and such a great story and that reminds me of a story that has to do with Mick I think that's maybe like a good closing Mm -hmm. scenario I'm slowly hinting at my upcoming masterclass It's right. It's right there, and we have to a break. Sum Just to sum up, have, what yeah. we, no, no, but the story is this: I had a, a recording in trio with Brian Blade and Mark Johnson playing standards. Mm. The first time I recorded standards after many records of my own music, and 
it was kind of a big thing for me. Um, first day of the recording, you know, nothing really took off. I mean, it was okay, but nothing was great, and everything was like three, four takes, and ah, man, you know, there was no magic. So that night, I'm at the I'm at my home in, in New York, and I'm calling Mick, my old my old master. Now it's time to call the guru. Mick, you know, it was a whole day of recording and I sucked, man. It didn't sound good and the others are great and I'm letting them down and, you know. And Mick said, wow, that's very interesting. He didn't say, oh my God, you know, or whatever. You know, that's really interesting. And then he said, pay attention tomorrow to everything. So next day, I come to the studio. Brian Blade comes to my booth and says, stand today. Why don't you stand? Because I was sitting. Okay, stand up. First take, shit just flowed, you know. And I'm just saying like, the master advice, pay attention to everything and also don't over-dramatize, like, mm -hmm. it's interesting. It's interesting, why didn't it flow? It's, a, it's an interesting question, yeah. rather than saying, I'm so bad. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> so that was a great energy and that's the type of energy that I always got from Mick. Yeah. Honesty, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cheryl, is there anything, last words on your mind before we finish our coffee this morning? No, thank you, Wolfgang. It was so great to, I mean, it was so beautiful to hear you last night. And really your work with the students was really, I learned a lot as a teacher. I learned a lot as a guitar player, but also as a teacher. And so thank you for coming and being with us. And I hope you'll come back soon. Thank mm. you for having me. It was amazing for me to be at that place again it's the very first time since i started here to be back and it means a lot to me thank you yeah ian anything left on your mind no i mean it was just been really really cool a couple of days of the performances and the master classes have been really great well, thanks cheryl thanks ian and thank you so much thank you here. it was you're, fun you're not done yet we have to no, go to another exactly one. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to go to class, and uh, we'll be with you on the next Coffee Talk. Thank you.